All right, we are still on the path of um, our new message uh, of new birth. Um, Craig was going to deliver the message this morning, but right before church, uh, I actually told him a joke. He laughed so much, he literally lost his voice. So he can't deliver this morning message, but we managed to make a plan, and I hope you enjoyed this morning's sermon. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Have you ever had a conversation with someone and the thing that you're talking about is not really the thing that you should be talking about? You know, when, when you're chatting with someone and there's something that, that they're, they're just not able to say or they're just not willing to talk about. Now, I call that the thing behind the thing. And maybe if you're a parent, you've had this before, your child's come up to you and they've said, look, Dad, I'm really sorry, I've, I've put a small rip in the wallpaper. You go to the bedroom, there's a three-foot gaping hole in the wall. Or perhaps your wife says, look, I've found the perfect pair of shoes to go with my outfit. And then three days later, you look at the credit card statement and there's one pair of shoes and, and ten outfits that have kind of been bought. You know, we're really good at hiding behind our words. We keep things superficial. We talk about things that are inconsequential and, and we avoid discussing and addressing the things that really need to be talked about, the thing behind the thing. Well, I need to tell you that Jesus was the master at addressing the thing behind the thing. Whenever people came up to him and they constantly did, bombarding him with his questions, he would instantly see what needed to really be talked about. He would recognize the real questions that they wanted to ask. Now, I, I could vouch for this in my own life. My name's John. Good name, right? And uh, I saw this, I remember the very first time I, I met Jesus, he was walking along the shores of Lake Galilee, close to my hometown of Capernaum. And a huge crowd was following him, and Jesus was trying to teach this crowd but they were pressing in. It was getting really, really difficult. So along with my business partners and I, we were fishermen. He borrowed one of our boats and he pushed out a little farther from the, the shore just so he could teach this huge crowd of people. And after he'd finished, after the crowd dispersed, Jesus said, hey, maybe we should just push out a little further and, and do a bit of fishing. Just drop down the nets. Well, Peter, my friend and business partner, he just rolled his eyes. This was the last thing that we wanted to do. We've been out fishing all night and we hadn't caught a single thing. But, you know, to avoid embarrassing Jesus, to kind of humor the guy, we thought, let's do it. So we went out a little farther, dropped down our nets, and you would not believe what happened. It was the most amazing thing. Our nets were instantly bursting full of fish, the most fish I'd ever seen in one particular catch at one moment. It was, it was utterly incredible. It was amazing. And from that moment on, we left everything behind to follow Jesus. I've got to tell you, those three years that we followed Jesus were amazing years. We experienced so many things, but it was a real roller coaster of a ride. You know, we saw Jesus heal, perform miraculous healings. The sick were cured from their illnesses. The, the blind were given their sight. The lame were able to walk. The mute were able to speak. The deaf were able to hear. But, but Jesus did more than that. 
He taught the people. We heard inspiring sermons. He made, he made universal truth accessible to everybody through these short stories he called parables. And we understood the great messages of God through those. But Jesus did more than just talk the talk. He, he walked the walk. Jesus got alongside and looked out for the people who are marginalized and oppressed in our society. He gave strength to the weak, power to the poor, love to the lonely. Jesus looked out for the last, the least, and the lost. But you know, in, in all of those things, it was an amazing experience. There was, there was one conversation that really stood out for me, one conversation that is just etched in my mind. And it was one of those just out-of-the-box conversations where Jesus addressed the thing behind the thing as, as only he could. So let me set the scene. We'd, we'd traveled up to Jerusalem and we'd spent several days in the city. And, and late one night, Jesus had a meeting with a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a really powerful guy. He was part of the privileged religious elite. These were the guys who called the shots for the Jewish people. And some of the religious elite, they had taken issue with what Jesus was doing. They were uh, put out by some of his teachings, and they really didn't like his blatant disregard for many of their rules and regulations. In fact, before we even got to the city, there were rumors swirling that some of those religious elite were looking to take out Jesus permanently, if you know what I mean. And so there was an element of tension when Nicodemus arranged this meeting. We weren't sure what he was going to do, what he wanted to say, what he wanted to find out. But nevertheless, when he arrived, it was, it was very clear that Nicodemus was quite different to many of his colleagues. He seemed, he seemed genuinely interested in finding out more about who Jesus was and what he was about. And maybe that's why he came to meet Jesus at nighttime. You know, for someone who had such a, a reputation to protect, a reputation to preserve, for him to be seen meeting with someone as spiritually and socially radical as Jesus, it wouldn't have been a good look. It would have been a real tarnish on his reputation. But perhaps, too, he came at night because he wanted to avoid the hustle and bustle of the crowds, to just get some quality time to sit down with Jesus and really wrestle through some big questions. When he arrived, it was very clear that Nicodemus had a lot of questions. He was bursting to ask these questions. We could see it written on his face, but, but even at the very beginning, he was, he was very respectful of Jesus. In fact, he greeted him as rabbi. In your language, that would be translated as teacher. And there was, there was an element of irony here. I mean, Nicodemus, he was one of the preeminent respected teachers in the city, and yet he acknowledged Jesus' capacity, his ability as a teacher. In fact, Nicodemus went one step further. He said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Nicodemus recognized the divine presence with Jesus. He recognized that something was happening. And, and honestly, truthfully, we, as Jesus followers, we were only just starting to figure this out. We were just starting to see this. And so for an outsider like Nicodemus to recognize it was, was really fascinating. But Nicodemus, he just wasn't an average outsider. He was cultured. He was educated. He was intelligent. And he recognized that something was going on. There was something bigger happening. And yet he didn't know exactly what that was. He was trying to figure out. He was unsure exactly what was going on. So I guess that's why he had questions. That's what he wanted to 
asked Jesus. <laughs> Poor old Nicodemus, he didn't even get to ask the questions that he had prepared. Because in response to his very complimentary opener, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Peter and I were sitting in the corner of the room, and Peter's a real joker. And uh, when he heard Jesus reply in this way, he had to stifle a snigger. I just dug him in the ribs to kind of like get him to shut up. But it was so typical of Jesus. You know, someone had said something, and Jesus kind of headed off this, this tangent, this seemingly unrelated, irrelevant track. I mean, Nicodemus hadn't even asked him a question. Nicodemus hadn't even mentioned the kingdom of God, and here's Jesus telling him how to experience God's sovereign presence. <laughs> it was crazy. But it wasn't until much later that I realized Jesus was addressing the thing behind the thing. He looked deep into what Nicodemus really wanted to discuss, really wanted to ask, and saw the condition of his soul, the spiritual state of where he was at. Jesus cut to the core and bypassed all those superficialities. I don't think Nicodemus recognized that at the time. In fact, he was taken aback by Jesus' bluntness. He simply said, what do you mean? Now, don't get me wrong, we knew that Nicodemus was an intelligent guy, but he had seen that Jesus was hinting at something here that was very revolutionary. Because, like all of us, Nicodemus believed that being a Jew meant automatic entry into the kingdom of God. I mean, the Jews were God's chosen people. God had made a promise to bless our nation through our forefathers. God had rescued our people from slavery in Egypt. And even though much of our oppression, much of our history had been one of oppression, not for one moment did we feel that God had abandoned us. In fact, through his prophets, God had promised to comfort us, to give us a hope and a future. But what Jesus is saying here is that beyond that history, beyond that heritage, that's not enough. Being a Jew isn't a free ticket into God's kingdom. There's something else that has to happen, something more that has to be done. People have to be born again. This was really confusing. And you could see poor old Nicodemus, uh, the cogs were literally turning in his brain. He didn't quite get it all together. So I don't know if he said his next thing sarcastically or facetiously, but he said this, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again. You know, it was that moment that I saw Jesus smile to himself. It, was, it wasn't a, a ridiculing smile. It wasn't even a, a condescending smile. It was just the smile of someone who sees so much more than everybody else. And Jesus put his hand on Nicodemus' shoulder. And he looked him straight in the eye. And he said this. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Peter, he was, he was as confused as the rest of us. He looked at me and whispered, have you ever heard anything like this before? And truthfully, I hadn't. But there were parts of it that I, I guess I did understand some of what Jesus was saying. When that whole flesh gives birth to flesh thing, that sort of made sense, you know. 
Jewish people give birth to Jewish people. Roman people give birth to Roman people. Greek people give birth to Greek people. But the Holy Spirit giving birth to spiritual life? I had no parameters for that. I struggled to get my head around that. And it wasn't until much later that I remembered something that my father had taught me. When I was a boy, he read to me the promises of the prophet Ezekiel. And and through Ezekiel, God promised for his people that he would take away, that he would wash away their moral filth and the spiritual impurities. And he would replace their stubborn heart of stone with a new spirit. And so while I didn't understand how all of that was going to happen, I slowly but surely started to see some of the bits lining up. But Nicodemus, he he was struggling. He could not fit the pieces of the puzzle together. I mean, like a true scholar, he wanted to understand this new knowledge, but he just couldn't quite get there. And he simply said to Jesus, how are these things possible? That's when it was Jesus' turn to ask a question. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I don't think it was his intent, but Jesus' question really struck a nerve for Nicodemus. When he was an intellectual guy, he knew our sacred writings like the back of his hand. But what Jesus very clearly and gently was trying to point out, that knowledge does not bring salvation. You can be the most intelligent person in the world and still miss the point of what Jesus was saying. And so, so to try and find some common ground, some connection point, Jesus dives into Jewish history and, and shares a story of our great ancestor Moses. When Moses led our people out of Egypt through the wilderness, Sinai, the wilderness Sinai of Sinai and into the Promised Land. And on one occasion there was a, a plague and outbreak of poisonous snakes. And many people were bitten, many people became sick, and many people died. But God instructed Moses, out of his great mercy, he said, Moses, build a statue of a snake, put it up on a pole. And if anybody obeys me and and out of obedience looks to this pole, they will be cured from their illness. And so with that historic event in mind, Jesus makes a crazy connection to the promised Savior. He said this, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Nicodemus must have understood some of this. I mean, he knew Jewish history, but there was still so much confusion. I mean, who was Jesus talking about? Was He talking about Himself? I had heard Him call Himself the Son of Man only a few months before when He healed a paralytic person. And, and the whole idea of being lifted up, I mean, we all knew that when anybody was lifted up, they were getting put up on a cross, a Roman cross, to be executed. And sadly, we'd seen so many of our compatriots die that way. There were much, many questions that we had. And to answer those unspoken questions, Jesus continued on and he said this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, those 29 words blew my mind when I first heard them. 
and they still blow my mind today. With those 29 words, Jesus turned all our preconceived ideas upside down. Because so many people think of God as the all-powerful creator of the universe, and he's, and he's out there. He's, he's distant, he's detached, he's far away, but Jesus reveals a God who is close, who is intimately interested in our lives. And not only that, this God he loves. He's not harsh, he's not heartless, he doesn't constantly need to be appeased. He is a God who shows mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love. And this love is for everyone not just a small group of Jewish people, but for the whole world. Anyone who is, believes in him is, uh, has it, the, the possibility of eternal life. <sighs> it was so much to take in. And Nicodemus, he was just sitting there in stunned silence, trying to process all that Jesus had presented. Because like most of his colleagues, Nicodemus believed that God would send a political leader someone to liberate his people from Roman oppression. But Jesus reveals that God's plan is so much bigger, so much broader than that, that God has a, an invitation to everyone to believe in him and experience this eternal life. And, and if they choose to believe, then God's going to give them not political freedom, but spiritual freedom, new life, eternal life. You know, we'd seen glimpses of this new life on our travels with Jesus. Everywhere he went, he brought freshness and fullness to people's lives. And the crazy thing about this life that he brought was that Jesus presented eternal life as not just something that we could experience after we died. No, he presented something that was available right now for all of us to enjoy and experience. I don't know how Nicodemus felt about this, this but... I was really excited. I mean, Jesus' news was great news. It was a message that everybody needed to hear. In fact, that's actually why I wrote my biography of Jesus in the Greek language. Because the Greek language was the common language of the Roman Empire. And I knew that, that message needed to be spread far and wide. It needed to be shared across the empire. Everybody was invited to hear this, regardless of their age, their stage, their ethnicity, or their social status. Everybody was invited to believe in Jesus. You know, none of us realized it at the time, but the truth of those 29 words was life-changing. In fact, the truth of those 29 words went beyond the walls of our room. It echoed across the Roman Empire and cascaded down countless generations. Those 29 words transformed my life. Sure, I still had questions, but that night in that room, I saw Jesus reveal more of who he was and what he was about. I saw him share a God who, who loved who gave, who promises life. And I heard a message that was open for everybody to believe. Now, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you have questions. Well, just like Nicodemus, I encourage you to take those questions to Jesus. But be prepared to be surprised. Because Jesus, he doesn't always answer the questions that we have. He doesn't always answer the questions in the way we expect. That's certainly not what happened for Nicodemus. I mean, he didn't get the answers to his questions. He got so much more. Because Jesus saw the thing behind the thing for Nicodemus. 
He recognized the state of his soul, what he really, really needed to address. And Jesus shared a timeless truth with him of immeasurable wealth, not just for Nicodemus, but for all of us. Do you know, I never got a chance to ask him how he felt about that. And maybe he was, it was disappointed that he didn't get his questions answered. Maybe he was confused. I mean, Nicodemus certainly left the meeting that night with more questions than he had arrived with. But I do know this, that, that two years later, all of Jesus' predictions came true. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was beaten and he was executed. He was lifted up on a Roman cross. And for those of us who had been following him for three years, we were devastated. We'd had an amazing three years, and for it to end like this was horrible. We felt like our world was caving in. The saddest part of all, the bit that I'm most ashamed to admit to you, is that when Jesus needed us the most, in his darkest hour, I wasn't there for him. But do you know who was? After Jesus breathed his last breath, Nicodemus and one of his wealthy friends came and took down his body from that cross. They gave him a proper burial. They prepared his body with spices and they laid his body in an empty tomb. And for Nicodemus to do that, he risked it all. His position, his privilege, his prestige, his status. He laid it all on the line. But he knew that Jesus was worth it. In fact, if Nicodemus was standing here with us this morning, he would say, Jesus is worth it. Because that night, Jesus didn't give Nicodemus empty promises. No, he shared with him divine truth. And to prove that Jesus had the power to provide eternal life to everyone who believed, he, raised, he, he rose from the dead three days after his crucifixion. He came alive and conquered the grave. And for us, that was the greatest miracle the world had ever seen. It was amazing. It transformed and turned our lives around. And so for the last 40 years, that's why I've dedicated my life to sharing the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus can see the thing behind the thing. He knows the challenges we're facing. He knows the problems we've got, the issues we're wrestling with, the questions we have. And over all of that, he offers us new life. If we would only believe and be born again. That's, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus that night. That's what he said to me during those three years. And that's what he's saying to you right now. Believe and be born again.